Hey, everybody. I'm really excited for today's episode. I'd like to do a deep dive on something I find fascinating from a branding, marketing, and social media perspective. And that is the wonderful and complex world of essential oils and all multi-level marketing and the strategy and design behind what they do and why it works. Before we begin, I have a few disclaimers and explanations and assumptions that I want to make. Number one, I am not here to discuss whether essential oils do or don't work or really discuss the business structure of MLMs or multi-level marketing organizations beyond the basics. I have used and liked essential oils from lots of different companies, but I've never sold them. I'm not particularly attached to one specific brand, and I am not here to sell them to you. The reason that I want to talk about essential oils and multi-level marketing businesses is because I find it really cool that these companies have used branding to grow multi-million and billion-dollar businesses in a very short amount of time. And from my perspective as a brand strategist, designer, and creative director, I can see the strategy and the messaging and the design involved in growing these businesses. So let's dive in. You're listening to Aesthetically Speaking. On this podcast, we're talking about all things branding, logos, colors, fonts, and the strategy behind it all. It seems like these days it's easier than ever to build an audience, but harder than ever to stand out online. My name's Rebecca, and I'm a brand strategist and designer. I'm here with my sister, Abby, a lawyer who needs a creative outlet. Together, we're going to talk about how to bring your brand to life. If you didn't know, I'm from Utah, which is the birthplace of several multi-level marketing companies, including the two biggest, I think, essential oil companies, doTERRA and Young Living. And both of these companies are considered MLMs or multi-level marketing companies. And I want to just give a quick explanation as to what that is so that we're all on the same page. And it's interesting because when I actually Googled, what is an MLM to make sure I got it right? The first definition actually came up from the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, and it was, what's the difference between a pyramid scheme and an MLM? So there's some baggage associated with this word, and I'm going to explain why that is a little bit. So an MLM, a multi-level marketing company, sells their products or services through person-to-person sales. So that means that if I sell blankets, instead of selling Target, 100 blankets for Target to sell to people. I sell 100 blankets to Sally, and Sally sells one of those blankets to Susie, and on and on and on. So, if you are in an MLM program, the company might refer to you as an independent distributor, participant, contractor, seller. Um, But the key thing is that there's two ways you typically make money in an MLM. Number one is you make money by selling the products to retail customers who are not involved in the MLM, okay? The second way that you make money is by recruiting new distributors, and then you earn commissions based on what they buy and their sales to retail customers, okay? So your recruits and the people that they recruit and so on, they become your sales network or what's called a downline, if you've heard that term. And this is the the biggest distinction that I saw in doing this research. If an MLM is not a pyramid scheme, it will pay you based on your sales to retail customers without having to recruit new distributors. So if, for example, you have an imaginary product 
called headbands with a Z. And you only make money if you recruit more people to sell headbands. And they only make money if they recruit more people. But nobody is actually selling headbands itself. That would be a pyramid scheme. So you can see how there's definitely a fine line or a blurry line there. And I'm sure that there are businesses that blur those lines more than others. But that is the distinction. So just because a business's organization makes a pyramid doesn't mean that it's a pyramid scheme. Most businesses have the most employees at the bottom making the least amount of money and a few people at the top making the most amount of money. So I wanted to give you that explanation and I'm going to give you a little background on the two essential oil businesses that I'm going to be referencing just for context. And then I'm going to go deep on the branding stuff because this is so fascinating. And I think there's a lot that we can learn from these companies that we can take to our own businesses. Okay. So here's the history of doTERRA and Young Living. And I've taken this from their individual websites and from Wikipedia. And I'm trying to just put it together as a neutral history and not give you any kind of biased view of what I think is good or bad. So you can determine your own thoughts and feelings about these companies, but this will just give us a little bit of a timeline and a sense of what these companies have done. So we start with Young Living. They were founded first, and it's kind of hard to know their exact timeline because it was like they had a family farm and then that's where they like sold produce and stuff as far as I can understand. And then they slowly transitioned to an essential oils company, but it was always direct sales. So Gary and Mary Young, love those names. They had this farm in Idaho and then he learned how to like, he went to like a lavender farm distillery and learned how to do that. And so then they started planting herbs and supplements like peppermint and Clary's Age and all of that. And then they actually bought a farm in Utah, which is the one that I've been to. And it's in Mona, Utah. If you've ever been there, it's actually a beautiful you know, several acres farms. You can walk through the lavender fields and take pictures. It's it's stunning. So they bought this farm in Utah and they started selling essential oils. And it was like they had used essential oils and Mary had some experience doing direct sales. And so that was kind of their business model from the beginning. And then Gary Young opened a health clinic in Utah that got shut down. And then he started doing healthcare stuff in like Ecuador and some other countries in South America. And it seems like there started to be kind of like a shift or some disagreements within the company. But in 1996, this is direct from their Wikipedia page. In 1996, the company projected sales of between eight and $10 million. And then from 2015 to 2017, they reported annual sales of more than $1 billion. So that is a lot of money in a very short amount of time. And it's it's pretty incredible. So in 2008, so kind of in the middle of this, the COO, the former COO of Young Living forms the essential oils company doTERRA, which is, I looked it up, it's a Latin derivative meaning gift of the earth. And somewhere in there, Young Living sued doTERRA for taking illegal trade secrets, but they lost the case and then they had to pay, um, it said $1.8 million in legal fees. So this is this is all about um, doTERRA. So they have always been a direct sales company as well. By 2014, so that would have been six years after they were founded, they had 1 million distributors 
and 500 employees. And as of today, or as of 2020, they reported having over 3 million distributors. So they have had some legal issues for making promises about the results or like making health claims about essential oils that are unfounded. But similar to Young Living, they have made a lot of money. They have reached a lot of people and um, expanded their business geographically a lot in a very, very short amount of time. So I think that multi-level marketing companies, which doTERRA and Young Living are just kind of a a sample of what many multi-level marketing companies are doing for better or for worse. But I think they're a fascinating example of how branding, marketing, and social media work in the 21st century. And I really want to talk about the way that they're doing this so that we can apply these principles to our own businesses, obviously making the best decisions that we can. So for the purpose of this podcast, I'm going to refer to the sellers, the network marketers, they have lots of different names, but the people that sign up to sell essential oils, I'm going to refer to them as distributors and the people who are purchasing actual products without signing up as customers. Okay. So what I want to talk through, I have four observations related to how essential oil companies are building their brand. And two are related to messaging and two are related to the design. I'm going to walk through these and help you see how these strategic decisions have allowed them to grow so quickly and build very, very loyal customers. So principle number one is you have to know who you're actually selling to. And this is something that MLMs do really well, okay? Young Living and doTERRA, they are not selling to customers. They are selling to distributors. They are selling to the people who are going to market their product for them. So they're not going to talk about essential oils as much because what they're really selling is the opportunity to make money from home, the opportunity to have flexibility and freedom in your schedule, the opportunity to sell a product that you already use and love or believe in, to have a community of support, right? And those are the qualities of these people, but it's not just anybody who aligns with this message. Their branding and their messaging is pretty specific to women who either can't or won't get a traditional corporate job, but really want to make money and want that freedom and flexibility. So they understand what these people are looking for, and that is who they sell to. And then distributors, in turn, really understand what their customers are looking for. So the people who are actually buying essential oils, they are typically moms who really want to put their kids first, and they trust themselves to be good advocates for their families. And they have probably had experiences where they're frustrated by the traditional healthcare system, especially in the United States. They want to make healthy choices for their family. They want to do their own research and make their own decisions. They are searching for this this empowerment as much as they are searching for the right supplement for their diet. And they want to know where their food comes from, where things are made. They want to have this confidence. And I think that essential oil companies have done such a good job creating this identity that there's even a name for these moms, right? Who like are homeschoolers, they make sourdough, they have a chicken coop, right? And no shade, you guys. If you know me, you know that my parents had a chicken coop growing up. They're called crunchy moms. 
right? Or granola moms. And they did such a good job making this identity that people who didn't fit in with this identity that they created, created their own kind of sub-brand of like scrunchy moms, right? Like I use essential oils, but I also order Little Caesars. And I think that is so powerful for them to really know who they're selling to and to understand them on like this deeper level. So they're not just like, you have sick kids, buy essential oils. They're like, you're sick and tired of your kids being sick all winter long. Here's how we can help. And I think that messaging is so powerful. So that brings me to principle number two, which I have led into already, which is you have to build an identity for your customers. And this is something that you guys are going to hear me talk about a lot this year because my work in brand strategy is really about identity. It's about your identity as the CEO of your business, and it's about the identity of your ideal clients. And if we don't cultivate a really strong identity, if we really don't know like who you are and what you're trying to accomplish, it's really hard for you to build an identity for your customers, okay? So here's how essential oil companies have done this really well. They create an identity for distributors beyond just selling the product and for customers beyond just buying the product. So a lot of MLMs will have names for their distributors, like doTERRA calls them wellness advocates. So you're not just a sales marketer for doTERRA, you're a wellness advocate for doTERRA. And that helps you align with this identity of, I'm not trying to sell anybody anything. I'm advocating for total wellness. And the way that I get that is by using these essential oils. And I think this is kind of a sub part of this identity, but they are changing the nature of being a salesperson because we have a really specific idea in our head of a slimy car salesman who's going to pressure us to buy something that we don't want and we don't need, right? And multi-level marketing companies, especially with the rise of social media, have said, hey, you already talk about the things that you love. You already posted about how you went to Starbucks and this is your Starbucks order. Why not share the tools that you're using to improve your family's health and get paid for it? And I think women are really incredible at sharing what they love and building a community and seeing the value in things beyond just their face value, which is what I always talk about in branding. And so that manner of selling has become really powerful and really natural for them. And social media has made it easier with algorithms and content reaching people that we don't know for you to attract people who want that identity way faster than if you were like going door to door or hosting, you know, those old fashioned like Tupperware parties kind of things. So I really think that this identity piece is powerful and it has allowed online sales to take on its own culture. Oh, I was going to say doTERRA calls their distributors wellness advocates, and they also have names for the different ranks that people reach. So when you have a certain number of recruits in your downline, like we mentioned, you reach a different rank. When you've sold a certain amount of inventory or a certain dollar amount, you reach a different rank. And in some companies, they're like diamond or platinum. And in other companies, they'll be like beauty, integrity, and like using those names, I think encourages this identity. And they even encourage distributors to name their teams, to have retreats to build that identity. And this is what I tell my clients too, like 
you've got to be better about branding what you're doing to create an identity. Don't just give an offer a generic name. Really think about what it is. Just recently, I sold something called the One Day Brand Refresh, and it was 24 hours to Voxer with me to help you refresh their brand. And giving it that title, A, I think gave it a lot of clarity, and B, helped it be more interesting and help people see what it was and what they wanted from So in addition to creating names for things, I think they create an identity by using the same types of language and same types of imagery in their marketing. And big businesses try to do this, but because of the alternative nature of MLMs, right? Because it's this like non-traditional way of growing a business, of making money, all of those things, I think it just sticks better. And we know that brands that are disruptive are powerful and we are really good at looking for patterns and blending all these patterns in together. And when there's something that breaks the pattern, I think our brains pay attention. So essential oils are a good example of this because what they're doing is contrary to the pattern of traditional health and wellness ideas. And they are really leaning into the identity of you can be different and you can be proud of it. And I think that works really well for customers who want to pursue different ways of helping their family achieve health. And it works really well for the distributors, especially because joining an MLM is so optional, right? Nobody needs to do it. So the people who are there are really passionate about it and they're really passionate about succeeding. They choose to be there, right? So I have two more principles that are more related to brand design and the way that essential oil companies and MLMs have used visuals and imagery to sell their products. So principle number three is to turn a want into a need, or rather take something that people don't need and make it something that they really, really, really want. And this is not a criticism of essential oil companies because most businesses and most products are not a need. Unless you are selling food, water, shelter, or clothing, what you are selling is not a need, it's a want. So how do you make people really, really want what you're selling? And essential oils fall into this category. They are technically a supplement, right? They're not food. They're not water. They're not a need. But they have done a really good job making this desire for holistic health and empowering moms to take charge of their family's health that it becomes almost like a need. And I think they do this in two ways. One they tap into the frustration of being sick, not on an individual level so much as on a community level, right? How many times have you heard this? Our world is sick. We eat too much processed food. We don't exercise enough. All of these things that are widely felt as true or have truth in them. And they take that and say, you can do something different. You can have a different kind of health in your family if you will trust yourself to make decisions for your family's health, right? And they have turned this want into a need because your family needs to be healthy, quote unquote. But what you really want is to have power over your family's health. And that is an opportunity that essential oils is giving you. They are giving you the opportunity to take control over your family's health and to have some control over the outcome rather than feeling like it doesn't matter what you do. And so they tap into the frustrations on the one side, right? And and especially as these brands become really big global brands, 
they'll talk about our world is sick. And these are the obstacles that we see around the world of people who don't have access to the healthcare that they need, both in a traditional and non-traditional sense. And then they talk about the individual level, and that's where they tap into the desires. And they paint a picture, sometimes literally, of what it looks like when you are empowered to make decisions for your family, for you to be different, for you to be a crunchy mom or a scrunchy mom or whatever it is, right? And I think that they do a really good job of understanding that desire and making it personal. And I think we could all do a better job of this in our business. And sometimes we get caught up in this idea, well, people don't need what I'm selling. And to that, I would say, of course they don't. So why do they want it? Why do they really want it? What identity does your business allow people to have? And if we were working together one-on-one, I would really force you to dive into this, okay? So a couple of examples. If you are a podcast manager, nobody needs someone to edit their podcast. Maybe they don't have the skills to do it themselves, but nobody needs a podcast. It's not life or death. It's not food, water, shelter, clothing, right? So what identity do you give someone when they hire you to be a podcast manager? You give them the identity of a successful business person who is operating in their zone of genius and not wasting time on the marketing details that they don't care about. That is an identity that I want to have. It's an identity that I do have because I have a fantastic podcast manager. Okay. What if you're a coach, a life coach, general life coaching? Nobody needs a life coach. It's not food, water, shelter, clothing. But why do they want it? Because they want to know that they can actually live up to their potential. They want to know that they can make decisions that they're proud of. They want to know that they can manage their time. And more than that, the identity that they want to have is that they are someone who is so successful, they have a life coach. That's the identity that you sell them. This brings me to my very last principle, which I have seen these essential oil companies do so well. And that is don't look like everybody else. And this is actually really fascinating to me as a designer because the branding for so many MLMs is really bad. And it's intentional because they want their brand to have a grassroots feel because they know that we trust people more than we trust big corporations. So a lot of times, essential oil companies will actually encourage their distributors, hey, don't use our corporate graphics. Don't copy and paste our perfectly worded posts. Make your own content because the more unprofessional and handmade it looks in theory, the more people will know that it's really coming from you. So you get a lot of content that's really cutesy, really feminine, really like girl bossy with lots of cursive and stuff. And I actually think that it leans too far where people are making content that is so poorly designed that it's not understandable and it's not compelling. And you can see how multi-level marketing companies have had to shift in their approach where they're not just selling the idea of making money from home, but they're also selling the idea of we will teach you how to sell. And this is what is so interesting to me about these companies is that they have grown large groups of women who are incredible salespeople. And these women are so good. I think women have kind of an innate gift 
for building communities and bringing people together and making people feel like they're part of something. And I wonder if some of these women are going to realize that their brand is very tied to the essential oil company that they represent. And they're giving away a lot of money when they could do their own thing and make a lot more. And this is why I think having a personal brand that transcends whatever it is that you do beyond just what you sell or what company you sell for is really, really important. So if I could give you a takeaway from all of this, I want you to really understand who your customers are, what they want, and the identity that you can offer them. Take their wants, the things that they don't need, and show them how much they want it. Show them how much they're missing out on by not having it. And then look different. Do something different. Don't copy other people, right? How many coaches do I see who release a program and they use the exact same black and white branding that everybody else is using? Don't do that. Don't sell yourself short. Be disruptive and own this idea of being different because it's powerful and it's actually the secret to attracting the people who really, really resonate with what you have to say. So I hope this was helpful for you. I would love to hear your thoughts on multi-level marketing companies and their branding and what we can learn from them and maybe what we can do differently. Thank you so much for tuning in to Aesthetically Speaking, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to Aesthetically Speaking. If you want to support the podcast, please leave us a nice review or connect with us on Instagram at Rebecca Peterson Studio. 